They burnt a flag and they <laughs> sent sent their underwear to Saddam Hussein with yeah. some yellow cake uranium. <laughs> and they said, hit my twin towers, Saddam. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Lyrics for Lunch, the show that's not ready to make nice, comma, not ready to back down. You could have done better. I feel like that was great. Okay. This is the show that does deep dives into the untold stories of famous or maybe not so famous songs. Uh, I'm your host, Aviv Rubenstein. Joining me as always, the, I don't know, I cannot name a single member of the Dixie Chicks. Natalie Maines. Natalie, the Natalie Maine to my other lady. Okay. <laughs> you can Who be Emily. You? Hi, I'm Lindsay Tucker. Hello. Hello. What are this we talking about this week? We're talking about the, the Chicks, formerly the Dixie Chicks, and their song, Not Ready to Make Nice, which is, I guess, a, a, a direct... Uh, it's just about like George W. Bush, just like <laughs> continuing our series and songs about George W. Bush. I mean, it's not really about George Bush. It's more about the reaction from the American public to a certain comment about George Bush. But we'll get there. Don't get ahead of yourselves, <laughs> little buddy. <laughs> George Bush doesn't care about black people. Uh, unquote, so correct. <laughs> Uh, the Red, Not Ready to Make Nice is a 2006 single from their Rick Rubin produced album, Taking the Long Way. At the time, no one really wanted to touch the Dixie Chicks. So we are going to be referring to them as the Dixie Chicks. Well, I'm and, keep going to be going in and out of Dixie Chicks okay. and the Chicks. And the, but the Chicks is just like a bad fucking name. I totally for, agree. Uh, what do you know about the song and the now the Chicks? So, okay, I know the Chicks, formerly the Dixie Chicks, from Goodbye Earl, which is a song about killing your husband who is abusive. We're going to talk about Goodbye Earl, too. I know that they got in trouble in the beginning of the Iraq War in, like, 03 or so for making comments that were basically anti- Iraq War, they got like quote unquote canceled by their the conservative wing of their fan base, and also like people that were never their fans, but you know still decided to pick a fight with them. And then their career got a little derailed, and then they released a song called "I'm Not Ready to Make Nice" about how they're not ready to make nice. <laughs> Okay, that's mostly correct. Um, Thanks. Bless. <laughs> good recap. Uh, so, yeah, you mentioned the cancel culture, and um, I guess maybe Sinead O'Connor was the first person like to really get canceled, but then the chicks were number two. Sinead O'Connor uh, went on SNL and, and ripped up a picture of the Pope. I don't even remember why. I think it was because of the kid-touching thing. Um or maybe just like Ireland. And she was like banned from SNL. This was in the middle of her musical performance. She was banned from SNL for life for being right. 
and um, the following week, so 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 no one has ever, you know, someone my age has never seen this clip because they don't show it on TV. But um, there, the following week, Joe Pesci hosted in support of the movie My Cousin Vinny, and fa- like I remember his monologue specifically because he was like, "We found all the pictures of the Pope and like taped them up." And he, like, showed a picture of the taped-up Pope. No. I I just, this, I distinctly remember this. That's stupid. I mean, it certainly is. So there was a You're Wrong About episode about cancel culture. They did a Chicks episode. Um, anyone who wants to know more about the political climate at the time, go listen to that. I mean, we're going to talk about that a little bit here, but this is you know, this show about music, theirs had a much um, stronger political bent. So uh, we're not going to use a ton of that here, but just an extra resource for people who want to hear more about the chicks versus the Iraq war. Um, But right now, let's just do a little deep dive into the history of country music in America. Yikes. So... (laughs) Um, This was mentioned in You're Wrong About. In the late 1800s, what would eventually become country music was born out of a mashup of different folk traditions. So it's like Scottish ballads, indigenous and African traditions, Swiss yodeling. All of these traditions come together in what became American country music. And country was called folk or hillbilly music until the 1950s. And then during McCarthyism, folk musicians started getting accused of sedition. So they rebranded and became country. That is A, so stupid. And B, like, <laughs> so unbelievably effective. Like, like our Department of Defense in the United States used to just be called the Department of War. And they're like, well, we don't want to be known bad. as the Department of War. <laughs> So, like, let's be the Department of Defense, even though it's, like, it's never really defended us from anything. So it feels like country music is doing the same thing. They're like, well, we don't want to seem like we're anti this country. The country. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of early radio shows were actually square dances, which attributed to country music's popularity on the radio. And so people would just be dancing, singing along. And then... <laughs> Swinging your partner, do going. By the 1990s, there were more country music radio stations than any other format. Um, So in the 90s, we had about 2,400 country stations, 1,800 adult contemporary stations, 1,200 oldies, and 1,200 news and talk radio stations. And do we think that this is just a holdover from like, like square dancing? Like, like that they used to do these, like whatever, corn haulers on the radio so people could dance to them? I mean, yes and no. I think it says a a bit about the bass and who listens to radio, right? Mm-hmm. So that would be my guess. Like, country had a huge start in radio, and then um, it remained popular on radio stations because of its reach and its bass. The Dixie Chicks got started in 1989, actually. Wow. Um, the members were sisters Emily and Marty, and they had moved to Dallas when they were young girls. Um, Marty played competitive fiddle around Texas, and Emily played everything. Violin, bass, banjo, rhythm guitar. Um, and then she ended up playing predominantly banjo in the modern chicks, day chicks. Um, and then there's Robin Macy, who was the original lead vocalist. And she'd been involved in the Dallas country music scene here and there when 
she met Emily and Marty. And they were 17 and 20 at the time. So so young, like around the time that people are starting their first bands. So then she brings on Lara Lynch, who was the fourth member of the original band. Fucking bad, bad <laughs> last name to have when you're in a band called the Dixie Chicks. Bad branding. Very bad branding. Um, and she was like a stockbroker by day, I guess. And um, she had been in other bands with all men. And she was just like, totally done with testosterone. I'm ready to do an all-girl thing. Great. Um, do you know what the Dixie Chicks named them their band after? Being Chicks and Southern, the land of Dixie? No. The Cup? No. Well, then I'm out. <laughs> the Cup. Uh, yeah, the old Dixie Cup. They named themselves after the Little Feet song, Dixie Chicken. Little Feet? Yeah, you know the song? I will be all Dixie Chicken. Here, let me just send nope, it to you. Nope, I absolutely don't. Okay. I will be your Dixie Chicken. Put your little if wing you in mine. If you be my Dixie Chicken. Something like that. <laughs> Sounds like Dr. John. Oh, my God. You don't know Little Feet? Like, never no. heard Little Feet. No, I feel like truly. this is worse than the... Than Rebecca Black? Thing. Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. Don't even try. No, I'm not sure. <laughs> According to the Urong About podcast, shortly after forming the band, they started playing on street corners in Dallas. And then on the very first day, a restaurant owner came by and offered them $300 a night to play at his restaurant. I don't love the term street corners. Like, well, the- <laughs> like I know what busking is. Okay. But like, but it's like these women were just prowling the street corners looking for a hot meal. <laughs> there's one point. So there's a 2006 documentary called Shut Up and Sing. Mm-hmm. And their manager is kind of making fun of them saying in the early days when he, like, he would book them at a show and they'd be like, I can't believe you booked me. You came, booked us at the show. It was terrible. Um, he was like, then I remind them that they booked themselves at this show and shows a picture of them like playing in the supermarket in, in front of that the rolls. poultry aisle. I fucking love that. <laughs> Dixie chickens. And he was like, they booked this supermarket gig all by themselves. That rules. So, you know, they were resourceful at least. Very, very, once again, very punk ethos. <laughs> Um, they put out an album in 1990, and then this kicked off six years of moderate touring as a bluegrass band around Texas. Eventually, tensions arise because Robin wants to keep the band really traditional, and they're like really seen like a novelty act. I feel like their early music is like borderline yodeling. Yeah, I mean, bluegrass is like a very specific kind of music that doesn't allow for like a ton of innovation. <laughs> So record labels aren't picking them up. They want them to modernize a little. And the rest of the band is interested in evolving. So in 1992, Robin is eked out of the band. So now there's three members. Laura Lynch takes over as lead vocals. Bad name. Bad branding. And then we've still got sisters Emily and Marty. Um, In 1995, Sony approached them. Their Nashville outpost is getting hungry for some young blood. Okay. And they want to rep them, but only if they drop Lara, because Lara is 37. I guess she's just, like, not young enough. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is where Natalie Maines comes in. She was the daughter 
of a legendary pedal steel guitar musician that was local to Texas. Okay. And the chicks, original chicks, like knew this guy. Uh, and Mains is only 22. And she was really interested in social justice already. Like in high school, she would skip class and then complain to the administrators that she didn't get in enough trouble. But like students of color would. That is awesome. Good job, yeah. Natalie. She is fucking dope. <laughs> I mean, as I've researched this episode, I've really come to be like, why didn't I know that Natalie Means is a national hero? (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, all right. So Emily and Marty ask Natalie to join their band. To replace Laura. To replace Laura. Who who committed the sin of of aging. Of being being older than 30. (laughs) Um, and so Laura was honestly devastated. There was like a lot of crying, but allegedly she's still friends with Emily and Marty and has been super supportive. But, you know, it's it was tough. That's a tough thing to like. Well, our label, our, our new label wants us to kick you out. And this happened to a friend of mine who um, like we've talked li- about it on the show. Yeah, we did. I didn't yeah. know if I did. But yeah, so I guess that's not super uncommon. Mm-hmm. Like. They wanted, they definitely wanted them to be like three hot young blondes. So three weeks after Natalie joins the band, they sign with Sony. Okay. January 1998, their first album with a major label comes out. This is actually their fourth studio album at this point. This album is called Wide Open Spaces. You know this one? Wide Open Spaces in the Funniest Places? No. Who doesn't know what I'm talking about? Me, I don't know what you're talking about. Who's never left home? Who's never struck out? All right, we're going to have to hear it. They're just like styled like modern day Karens. Yeah, I know it's really bad. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever heard this song before. Yeah, you have. Oh, I do know this song. Wow, this video sucks. It deeply sucks. <laughs> the first, uh, the first YouTube comment on this, which is the Chicks Vivo page, is uh, from Charlie three five two three, and it says, "If this isn't played at my funeral, I'm not dying." <laughs> Yes, Good job, Charlie. (laughs) It's very like Wilson Phillips of country at this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It sounds like hold on for one more day or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure that I danced to this at like a junior high school dance. I'm sure. 
And it's probably why my dad liked them. I'm pretty sure my dad introduced me to Dixie Chicks because he loved Wilson Phillips. I feel like then... this is going to be a Russ heavy episode. <laughs> just know, just knowing where this is going. Russ. <laughs> Russ mentions just a few. Yeah, I also like. I know that they are they are politically on the right side of history or whatever, but they look like each one of them would call the cops on a on a bunch of black people having a barbecue. They absolutely do. The eyeshadow, the haircuts, the tank tops, the butterfly it's clips. Bad. The it's really hats. bad. It's all really, really bad. So Natalie is now the the mate, the lead singer. Yeah. And the two sisters are still just like kind of the, they the, the they're rounding out the band they they sing backups and they play yeah <laughs> but it's it's like it feels weird because like they are the band and natalie is like the new the new kid in town yeah she is yeah, yeah. they're super gracious about natalie throughout the entire debacle I mean, Natalie just goes off the cuff and just said an unrehearsed thing at a show. And what'd she say? We'll find out. Stay oh, tuned. oh, hell yeah! Uh, but they always stood behind her, and I don't think Emily and Marty. Well, I know Emily and Marty are not as bullheaded and I mean that in the most respectful like yes way but like Natalie is fiery and bullheaded and she speaks her mind and the other two were kind of like well we're not gonna like get involved in, like early Taylor Swift I mean honestly it makes sense because their record label approached them to be like hey can you kick your friends out for us and they're like okay so I get that they equivocate <laughs> right but then when push came to shove, they stood by their woman. That's that's good. That's good. Okay. Um, so when Wide Open Spaces hits the airwaves, it starts oh charting right away in both adult contemporary and country charts. Music critic Robert Criscow gave the album a two-star honorable mention and wrote, Blondes have more brains than they get credit for. End shut of review. That was the whole up. review. Shut up. I fucking... <laughs> Hate you, Robert. Yeah. Robert sucks. Um, the LA Times wrote, This tradition-rooted Texas trio knows its way around country, western, honky-tonk, bluegrass, folk, and country rock. The range plus their sweet, assured three-part harmonies, Natalie Maine's attractively steely lead vocals, and savvy song selection have propelled this major label debut into the top ten. Major label debut. There you go. <laughs> At the Grammys, it won Best Country Album, and then it also won Best Country Album at the CMT Awards and the Academy of Music Awards, Academy of Country Music Awards. So it was winning Best Country Album, like sweeping all of the awards shows. On the chart, it was in the top 50 for 63 weeks, and it peaked at number three on the U.S. Top Country Albums Billboard and eight on the U.S. Billboard 200. 63 weeks is really... Something, something else, you know. That's long. It's a long time. <laughs> uh, a year later, they released their fifth studio album, Fly. And Fly debuts at number one on Billboard 200 with songs like Cowboy Take Me Away, Ready to Run, and Goodbye Earl. Goodbye Earl. You know, that, that's, <laughs> a, that's a song I know. 
circle back to that in a minute. Okay. Uh, the album earned four Grammy nominations in 2000, and the group won two, which was Best Country Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocals, and for that was for Ready to Run, and mm-hmm. they won Best Country Album. And it was also nominated for Album of the Year, and the writers of Ready to Run, Marcus Humman and Marty, were nominated for Best Country Song. Great. In 2020, the album was ranked at 222 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time list. Okay. I For for an album that I think I've heard one song from, like, I can't really say whether I agree or disagree, but like, okay. Good job. And I, f- I feel like this had some connection to like a movie. Like, like Runaway Bride? Maybe. Wow. <laughs> the eyebrows. Where where are they? Is it Kathy Bates? <laughs> I know this photo. The photo of the three of them in wedding dresses like looking up. Yeah, this has gotta be from what Runaway Bride. It's it's a runaway what bride gave it away? scenario. <laughs> And that's what she does in the movie, I think. I've never seen that movie. It's bad. It's not good. Who's... Is it Richard Gere and Julia? And Julia Roberts, yeah. Okay. I I, I hate this. I, this I can't really... pretend. This is real I'm not rough. asking you to pretend. I frankly don't like to see I'm not like ready to, to make nice, Lindsay. This ain't no ready to, to make nice. Oh, yeah. That's Gary Marshall. The director of Runaway Bride. Okay. It's all coming together. <laughs> it's all coming together. Okay. Let's jump to Goodbye Earl, the song on the album that you do know. I Yes. I think everyone knows Goodbye Earl because it was like a massive crossover hit. Should we play it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's not only play the shitty ones. <laughs> Took a big chance at a high school dance. I don't know what the fucking words are to this song. <laughs> that was Walk This Way by Aerosmith. That was. <laughs> Dennis Franz, Jane Krakowski, Lauren Holly. Ah. Jenna Maroney herself. I love her. Me too. Apparently she's just like, like that. <laughs> I bet. Well, she's not. So she's so they're not all blonde anymore. One of the right. one of the sisters is has Emily. gone brunette. Yep. So I have a lot of thoughts as to why this song wound up being so popular. All right, you want to enlighten us with any of those it's just it just doesn't take itself seriously it's like a it's like a cheesy song like many of their songs are cheesy but it kind of knows that it's cheesy and mm-hmm. embraces it including with the video and the like the the lyrics are slow enough or kind of simple enough 
for you to understand what's going on the first time. And follow you, the story. Yeah. yeah, follow the story, which is tough, right? Because we all, we know from this show that people don't listen to lyrics. That makes no sense to me. I agree. Lauren Holly, what a babe. Stop objectifying every woman on the show. How many women have I objectified on the show thus far? <laughs> there have been so many women. <laughs> Dennis Franz, what a babe. <laughs> so I was uh, once at karaoke at this place called um, Hyperion Public in Silver Lake. And friend of the show, Tom Chapman, was singing the song. Which was just <laughs> fabulous. And uh, the power went out in the bar. And then just everyone did a group a cappella version of Goodbye Earl until the power came back on. And then he Fantastic. did it again with the music. Yeah, it was, he did it, was it really again? Great. Yeah, because he was like, well, I never got to finish it. Also, let this be a lesson to you. Earl gets killed after one time. He hits his wife one time. And then is killed. Was it one time? That's that's the implication, right? It's like she gets beaten up. I mean, Lauren Holly finds out about the first time, and they're like, "Well, let's just kill him," which is the <laughs> correct the correct lesson to learn. <laughs> well, not everyone agreed with that lesson of Eve. Oh, really? <laughs> Um, controversy swirled around the song and the chicks at the time. In one camp, we had listeners like you who applauded it, and many people said, hey, it's raising awareness about domestic violence. But then in the other camp, people felt that it condoned murder. Yeah, it does. <laughs> uh, so yeah, radio stations, some of them just wouldn't play it. I mean, I think that that's like such a bad faith art. We, we like don't even need to unpack it, but like that's... That argument is in such bad faith. Like, I bet you they played Janie's Got a Gun. I bet you they do. Uh, Goodbye Earl wasn't even written by the chicks, though. It was written by Dennis Lindy, who's best known for writing the 1972 Elvis Presley hit Burning Love. Well, did he do a recording of it before? Well, like, was it written for the chicks or was it like a cover? It was not. According to country music radio station Q106.5, it was originally recorded by the Sons of the Desert, but it was not included on an album because of a dispute with the band's label. The Sons wanted to include it on their second album, but Epic Records said no. Because it came so, over. Yeah, and then the riff prompted the Sons to leave the label in 1998. Stupid. And so the chicks ran with it. Just doesn't have the same joie de vivre. It's true, but much like um, a, a lot of famous girl or woman fronted songs, there's like the ma- the male version that doesn't have the same kind of panache. So something like uh, "Before He Cheats" or this or "Respect." There's a or... male before he cheats. Oh yeah. No. Mini lyrics. This is this will be a this will be a, a preview for a future episode. But it was written about like, oh, listen, listen how crazy this guy is. Like my buddy, he's got a crazy girlfriend, 
and she dug her keys into the side of his car because he cheated. So maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. And yeah, it's jaw drop. But like <laughs> jaw drop. Yeah. So I think much like that, you know, you recontextualize it with a woman singer and give it a little panache, and you got yourself a hit. You ready for two thousand one? I'm ready Can for 2001. Oh my god. Something's happened to the Twin Towers. A lawsuit erupted between the chicks and Sony over royalties. Sony had been, you know, scamming them out of money. Cool. Um, in July, their attorney served notice to Sony that they intended to stop recording for the label. Sony sues them for breach of contract, saying they that they stood to lose. Record. They had five. The, whoa! Five more to deliver. So they five said that, more. So they they got signed to a seven album deal. Sony. I think it was ten. I, that's a that's fucked. The only reason that someone signs you to a ten album deal is so they don't have to pay you good royalties when you eventually become famous, right? Correct. It's like it's like one of those studio contracts that essentially held actors in indentured servitude. Yeah, so they they claim that they stand to lose a hundred million unless the Dixie Chicks made good on their five promised albums. So then a month later, the Chicks sue Sony right back, charging Sony with systemic thievery. Systemic thievery. <laughs> Don't let Natalie Maines write your <laughs> write your legal briefs. So what at the time, thievery? they had. So- they had sold nearly 20 million albums, generating more than 175 million in revenue for Sony. And they said that Sony cheated them out of more than $4 million by underreporting sales figures and overcharging for companies' services. So you know how it, it works where they just are like, you had this lunch, we, you know, your tour photos, your promotions, and then they yeah. just for, swindle for all your money this- away. <laughs> For more on this, go back and listen to our Lou Pearlman episodes. Exactly. Um, so this is, but this is like classic blunder. If you're gonna steal from your artists, don't do it twice. Like you, you've already got them in like a horrible contract, locked in for like a decade or more. Like, why steal from them a second time? Just like enjoy that you got away with one. Yeah, they said they found, they caught Sony trying to hide money from them with bogus accounting tactics on 30 separate occasions since 1997. And they went public with it, crusading for artist rights at fundraisers, uh, griping to lawmakers about greedy record corporations, and how they took advantage of naive, budding artists. That ain't good. It wasn't good. And so they're starting to get this little bit of reputation around... uh, country music scene as being difficult women oh we can't have that (laughs) um and there's a dan rather interview where he's like you know like uh, kind of he's being very firm with them like well like surely you know you've made millions and they're like no we haven't made any no millions you know like right um it deep steeped in sexism and you'll yes. find that with, I mean, you'll just find that in, in the world in general. But with them especially, they are in a music scene full of people who do not appreciate opinionated women. 
Yeah, I don't think that that's unique to country, but um, it definitely exists in country. I just hard. find it striking because, and and you're right. I mean, I now I'm just painting country music with too broad of a brush, but. You know, Taylor Swift talked a lot about this in her documentary, Miss Americana, about how in country music, you keep your mouth shut and you don't stand up for what you believe in. And but there are so many male country artists who do and it's cheered and lauded, but not right when the girls do it. And And I think that, you know, it's the you'll see like a. Artists of color. This will happen with artists of color too, where the, where they will fight for their royalties or fight for their songwriting credits or whatever it is. And the first question is like, "Don't you already have enough? Like, haven't you tr- transcended your circumstances enough for your liking?" Um, when I don't know if they would ask a white male artist, they probably would ask a white male artist, but they would then accept their answer, you know, as opposed to being like, "Are you sure?" Are you sure you deserve yeah. this? Uh, so 11 months is there's litigations, whatever. Um, I, 11 months later, they actually settled with Sony um, who agreed to significantly boost their royalty rate to about 20 percent. Good. Um, so that's 2002. And but they, they, that- they, they stuck with Sony then. They did. Like they were going to leave because of the shady business practices, and then they yeah. basically were able to renegotiate their contract. Correct. Okay. And they stopped uh, sort of like reporting, or I don't know what the word is, but they, they were working with the Nashville imprint, and now they're dealing with like Sony. Okay. Okay. I buy that for a dollar. So that's 2002. Let's take it into 2003. The Dixie Chicks are the biggest selling female group of any genre. Mm-hmm. Can you hear me? They did the national anthem at the Super Bowl. Their 2003 Top of the World tour was sponsored by Lipton, the tea. Okay, sure. (laughs) So they start off that tour overseas and they're playing a show in London at Shepherd's Bush Empire. It's March 10th. It's 10 days before the official invasion of Iraq, which is recorded as March 20th. So we're dealing. We're, we're saying almost exactly tw- twenty years ago, shy of two months. The administration's lying about weapons of mass destruction, and the no. anti-war movement <laughs> is growing in Europe. So there's mass protests in the streets of London, and the chicks go on stage, and between songs, Natalie said, "Just so you know, we're on the good side with y'all." We do not want this war and violence. And we're ashamed that the president of the United States is from Texas. And nothing, there were no repercussions to that whatsoever. <laughs> nothing bad happened. Um, nothing at all. See you next week, everybody. Bye. Okay, so The Guardian runs a story. What is the context of the story? It's like American traitors. Or is it just like, hey, this happened? Um, it's kind of American traitory. Uh, Great. So Thanks a lot, this is... British press. <laughs> British press sucks. Sus. This is from History.com. The music-related side show to the biggest international news story of the year began on March 12th, 
2003, when the British newspaper The Guardian published its review of a Chicks concert at Shepherd's Bush Empire two nights earlier. In the review, The Guardian's Betty Clark included the following line. Just so you know, says singer Natalie Maines, we're ashamed the president of the United States is from Texas. Clark left out the middle of the full quotation, which was, just so you know, we're on the good side with y'all. We do not want this war in violence. He's also not from Texas. He's not from Texas at all? No, I think he was born in Connecticut. I was literally going to say, oh, Connecticut. (laughs) Uh, So George W. Bush. This I I think was like. No, he was born in New Haven, Connecticut. That okay, accent he's is fake. born in Connecticut. How long did he live in Connecticut? He was raised in Midland, Texas, and Houston. I don't know. It doesn't say. He like campaigned as a Texan. Yeah, yeah, that was like very much his thing because he's the guy that you, he's the country guy that you have a beer with, even though he didn't drink. But yeah, like that that whole like Southern thing is like a very much a like Natalie is more Texan than George W. Bush. Uh, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. It's like, I'm ashamed he's from Connecticut. <laughs> uh, well, the we are ashamed that the president of the United States is from Texas spread like wildfire. Thousands of phone calls flooding country music radio stations from Denver to Nashville. Calls demanding that the chicks be removed from the station's playlist. This is back from history.com. Soon, some of the same stations were calling for a boycott of the recent chicks album and of the upcoming U.S. tour. Fellow country star Toby Keith famously joined the fray by performing in front of a backdrop that featured a gigantic image of Natalie Maines and Saddam Hussein, like embracing. Do you know that image? I, I am aware of this happening, but I don't think I've ever seen the image. Uh, Natalie Maines and said like early Photoshop clip art yeah. Natalie Maines hugging Saddam Hussein. Yes. So he would fuck he you, like Toby projected Keith. that behind him. Now the Maines Keith feud was actually sparked before the London incident. Maines made a comment about Keith's 2002 song which is called Courtesy of the Red, White and Blue, The Angry American. Mhm. And the song was written and released after the death of Keith's father in the September 11th 2001 attacks. Wait, Toby Heath's dad died in 9-11? Allegedly, unless he made it up to further his career. But how did that... uh, Oh No, he absolutely did not die in 9-11. Okay. Toby Heath's dad died March 24th, 2001. Okay. So he was just a veteran that died, not in September 11th. What the fuck is happening? (laughs) Maybe I misread it. Who knows? I fucking, I don't know, man. <laughs> but after after 2011, Toby Keith is going hard on American patriotism. Because my dad, a veteran, died in a bus accident. <laughs> yes. Six months before 9-11, which he could have died in. Wow. Um, this is fun. Um, so... The song is basically Keith singing his opinion about the actions the U.S. should take. Most notably, we'll put a boot in your ass. It's It's the the American American way. way. Oh, yeah, I know it. This is a song I've heard before. (laughs) So Maine's Natalie shared her opinion about the song and and about Toby Keith with the L.A. Times. 
and said, I hate it. It's ignorant. It makes country music sound ignorant. It targets an entire culture and not just the bad people who did bad things. You've got to have some tact. Anybody can write will put a boot in your ass, but a lot of people agree with it. The kinds of songs I prefer on the subject are like Bruce Springsteen's new songs. Okay, this is, I, I have to stress, so fucking stupid. It's so stupid. And like, I do remember this being the discourse, right? We were like old enough to like be aware of some of the stuff happening, but like, you guys are fucking idiots. Yeah. It's really stupid. And I wasn't super tuned into it at the time. Um, But I guess the Free Republic was a website run by a bunch of right-wing psychos. And they started the calling the radio stations to boycott movement. Um, They would, like, have on their website, like, all the the stations and the phone numbers to call. Huge surprise that it was a false flag. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) People start smashing their CDs with, like, tractors. <laughs> do you remember that? Just yeah, like the- of course I do. <laughs> and they still do it these. They still do it today with, like, I'm smashing my Keurig because Keurig says that black coffee is as good as white coffee or whatever. I don't know. Uh, so it's snowballing into this whole, like, patriotism false flag with Mains at the helm as the anti-patriot. And, but they... but. Even though Mains is at the helm, it's they've dragged the whole band into it. Even though it's like sure. a one one comment made by Natalie. I mean, and 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 I and part of me likes to think that we're so much better than this now, but like we're not. We're fucking not. This is the same exact thing that happened with Benghazi. You ask you ask a random fucking Republican like what happened with Benghazi. They don't fucking know. They don't know how many people died. They think Hillary Clinton killed Vince Foster. Like what is happening? I, I think Republicans weirdly were very good early at weaponizing the internet and like fake grassroots movements. They did the same thing with the Bush Gore election where they had like the Brooks Brothers riot or whatever where they like bust a whole bunch of people in from new york to like protest counting the votes accurately Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i hate this place i fucking hate this place yeah so exactly what you just said you ask anyone what did the dixie chicks do they didn't fucking know what she said right my dad told me he doesn't like the dixie chicks anymore because they're flag burners Yep, they they burnt a flag and they <laughs> sent sent their underwear to Saddam Hussein with yeah. some yellow cake uranium, and they said, "Hit my twin towers, Saddam." <laughs> yeah, that's what they did. So they're blacklisted from country music radio stations. Land their single landslide. You know that one, right? The the cover of the Fleetwood Mac. The song. cover of Fleetwood okay. Mac. Yeah, I'm, I'm I have heard that song before. So that song fell 33 chart spots in one week. Leading the charge on the bands was Clear Channel and Cumulus Radio Corporations, which controlled around 1,500 radio stations across the country. Now, this was the huge era for censorship, as we mentioned earlier. In October 2001, Bush signed the Patriot Act. Also in October 2001, do you remember the Pledge of Allegiance mandate? Yes, I actually remember <laughs> um, I, I remember having a fight with someone about this. So tell us. 
So, around this time, I went to presidential classroom. Does anyone know what pres- the listeners are just like? No. Yes, I do know. Presidential classroom is is when you you in high school you spend a week in Washington and like you meet your congressman and like you meet kids from other parts of the country and you have like debates on stuff. I remember like we had to do a debate on like No Child Left Behind, which was in two thousand and three, and one of the debates was whether you should keep under God in the Pledge of Allegiance, right? And I remember this because it is the only time I've ever changed someone's mind because the there's this kid from Texas or somewhere um, who is saying, like, you should you should be required, like, God is part of the country. It was founded under God. Keep it. I was like, I don't say any of it. I refuse to say any of the Pledge of Allegiance because, and I had just learned this in my history class like the year pr- prior, during World War II, little Japanese students had to stand up at the beginning of every school day, bow their heads and say, I promise to fight and die for my emperor. And I was like, how is that different? Because mm-hmm. like we learned it like, oh, look at how crazy the Japanese people were. And I'm like, that's the same thing. That's literally the same exact thing we're doing, Mr. Longo. Yep. And, uh, and that kid changed his mind. Like right in front of my eyes, it was the it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. I, I've never experienced it since. Um, but yeah, I, so so there was a big debate over whether under God should stay in the Pledge of Allegiance and whether we should be required to say the Pledge of Allegiance at the beginning of every school day. And I refused. Yeah. So in October 2001, the Pennsylvania House of Representatives passed a bill by a 200. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm talking to you about Pennsylvania. Yeah. A 200 to one vote. That would mandate that students recite the Pledge of Allegiance or sing the national anthem during each school day unless they had written express permission exempting them from doing so by their parent. I remember. I absolutely remember this. I don't think I ever got written permission. I think I just stood up and didn't say anything. Yeah. Way to stand I'm strong. Tr- I know. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to remember. <laughs> I know this isn't about me, but I. <laughs> I'm just trying to remember what happened because no, I don't. Th- I don't think I ever wanted to. My parents were n- were not boat rockers, and mm-hmm. so even though they probably agreed with me, at least my mother would have. I I don't think I would have asked her because they they never wanted me to do anything that would like set. But me apart. also, like, what teachers are enforcing this? This is so stupid. Teachers. I know. Yeah. I had some of the worst human beings as my teachers. Like, I have no idea why they decided to teach children. I've talked about Mr. Jacoby several times on this podcast. How you doing, Dave? <laughs> um, so during, uh, in the wake of 9-11, Clear Channel put out this list of quote-unquote inappropriate songs to play. And that included Neil Diamond's America, The Rolling Stones' Ruby Tuesday, any song at all by Rage Against the Machine, and Imagine Fuck by yeah. John Lennon. <laughs> Because imagine no possessions, imagine there's no countries. No war. Anything that had an anti-war sentiment was not okay. Uh, They said it on You're Wrong About That on, like, the news media. Something like 70% of sources that were even interviewed were government sources. Mm Mm-hmm. So people were, you know, fired uh, or just silenced, like... um, for having uh, any anti-war ideas. Uh, so, like, if you were an anchor, you're done. There is a... I don't know if you 
have the list, but there was a TikTok trend or a TikTok meme a couple months ago that was like, you know, someone asking, hey, what was the number one song on 9-11? And someone cutting in and being like, you're asking the wrong questions. You got to ask what songs were banned on 9-12. And so there's, Terang did a list of 164 songs that were banned after 9-11. Oh my gosh. And there's a lot of them. I believe You ready? Yeah. Three doors down. I'm I'm not going to read all of them because there's 164, but I'll read some select ones. Rage Against, as you said, the entire Rage Against the Machine catalog. Walk Like an (laughs) Egyptian. Anything that referenced the Middle East. Three Doors Down, Duck and Run. ACDC Shot Down in Flames. Shoot the Thrill. Dirty Deeds. Highway to Hell. Safe in New York City. TNT. Hell's Bells. That's like an entire ACDC album. (laughs) Alanis Morissette's Ironic for some reason. Plane Crash. Is there a plane crash in in that song? Yeah. Plane crashes. And your bags are late. (laughs) What? Yeah, Mr. Play It Safe was afraid to fly. He packed his suitcase and kissed his kids goodbye. Oh, I really? I his whole damn life. Jesus Christ. Flight. <laughs> and then Osama Bin Laden. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Smooth Criminal by Alien Ant Farm. But not Bare Michael Jackson. Uh, it's, it's, in, it's in order of uh, artist alphabetical. Okay. Bare, Bare Naked Ladies Falling for the First Time. Beastie Boys Sabotage, The Beatles, A Day in the Life, and Lucy in the Sky with Diamond, and Ticket to Ride, and Obla D, Obla Da. What? Billy Joel's, I don't know, Only the Good Die Young by Billy Joel, which is the only Billy Joel song that I like. War Pigs by Black Sabbath, which fucking rules. Burning for You by Blue Oyster Cult. Knocking on Heaven's Door. Oh my god. Bruce Springsteen's I'm on Fire. Dave Matthews Band, Crash Into Me. The Doors, The End, American Pie, a song that you love, <laughs> Rocket Man, and Benny and the Jets, and Daniel by Elton John, Everclear's Santa Monica, which says, watch the world die, Foo Fighters, Learn to Fly, Jimi Hendrix, Hey Joe, New York, New York by Frank Sinatra. Don't say this New York. <laughs> Just don't even mention it. <laughs> Stairway to Heaven, Fly Away, Limp Biscuits, Break Stuff. Louis Armstrong's What a Wonderful World, Tuesday's Gone by Leonard Skinner, 99 Luft Balloons, which, I, you know, the irony is, is lost on everybody. <laughs> uh, as you mentioned, Neil Diamond's America, Dead Man's Party by Oingo Boingo, Pat Benatar's Hit Me With Your Best Shot and Love is a Battlefield, Live and Let Die, <laughs> Leaving on a Jet Plane. I hate this. <laughs> P.O.D.'s Boom Another One Bites the Dust and Killer Queen Killer Queen. It's the End of the World as We Know It Listen to that episode um, A band called Saliva Bridge Over Troubled Water Smashing Pumpkins Bullet with Butterfly Wings That song that goes Na 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 Hey 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 goodbye System of Downs Chop Suey Talking Heads Burning Down the House Sunday Bloody Sunday And Free Fallen no free falling. Holy fuck. And that was like, yeah. I don't know, a third of the list. I just like skipped over a bunch, but no. That's wild. It'll happen uh, again. We did this in the fucking 50s too. And let's not forget at this time, 72% of the country approved of the Iraq war and Bush's approval rating was hovering around that same number. Yeah, in, insanely high. 
insanely high. Um, on March 14th, four days after Natalie makes the comment, uh, and this is only two days after the news broke because it took two days for the, that to come out, um, she put out an apology. And she said, as a concerned American citizen, I apologize to President Bush because my remark was disrespectful. I feel that whoever holds that office should be treated with the utmost respect. Does Honestly, not catch on. No. Can't imagine why not. <laughs> Lipton pulls out of the tour. When they get back to the States for the U.S. arm of the tour, like people who had bought tickets show up to the show, but with like signs Tomatoes. of we support president bush boo dixie chicks um idiots like fuck you dixie chick like an acronym shirts there's one clip where natalie's like hey y'all like thanks for coming out tonight and if you came out to boo us we're fine with that because we believe in freedom of speech yeah Uh, the the thing that cheeses me the most about about this is these are the people that also will talk about freedom of speech as it applies to like saying the n-word or or speaking ill against gay people but like you say like hey i don't really like the president fuck you Mm -hmm. from my memory of the past 30 odd years however many i could remember being on this earth the right will only get behind free speech or free anything really when it serves a small subset of the population yeah, yeah. Like, every every moralistic argument that the right makes is in bad faith. Even abortion. Like, they don't fucking care about a fucking abortion. Exactly. They can push the Christianity agenda, take health rights away from women, but you can't say you're ashamed of our leaders. And there's always this, like, oh, this attitude of, like, we don't want to hear from Hollywood on their opinions. Like, because... Shut up and sing. Shut up and dribble. Yeah, so shut up and but sing. But then they became... lift up Ted Nugent... They elected Donald Trump president. He doesn't sing. Um, all right. So then what's happening? Okay. So for the 2003 Grammys, they sent out an email to all the performers saying that they shouldn't mention the war in their acceptance speeches and they'd cut the mics if they did. And the chicks are losing their country music base because they have brains, which makes powerful white men feel threatened. And country music didn't used to be like this, right? Hank Williams was like a socialist. This land is your land. This land is my land is a socialist anthem. The Republican Party didn't used to be like this. Hmm. I mean, well, when? Like Lincoln, uh, sure. Like Lincoln era? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and, and you can see thousands upon thousands of videos explaining like, how the Republicans rewon the South and the Great Southern Strategy and fucking Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan and basically every every problem that is happening with the country now can be traced back to Richard Nixon or Ronald Reagan. Well, in that vein, let's watch this clip that I just sent you. Hurt our men fighting overseas who no, think their cause is just. Men. Is this a matter of free speech or bad manners? Their opinion is so ignorant. They don't know what they're talking about. I think they are the ditzy twits. These are the <laughs> dumbest, dumbest bimbos, with due respect, I have seen. Bimbos, there it is. Women who deserve to be slapped around. Absolutely. They deserve to be slapped around. Well, I mean, he would know. Because he had to he had to pay, like, like, multi-millions of dollars for sexual harassment. 
and lost his show and got a golden parachute and was doing just fine for himself. Be one of BU's most famous graduates, baby. Oh, sweet. Bill O'Reilly, Howard Stern, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We really run the gamut. Yeah, you really do. I know. So President Bush responds publicly on TV. They can say what they want to say. And just because some, they shouldn't have their feelings hurt just because some people don't want to buy their records when they speak out. I mean, it, it's, it, you know, freedom is a two-way street. They shouldn't have their feelings hurt? What a dumb fuck. You're a dumb fuck. <laughs> he is a dumb fuck. Yeah, he is. Uh, so then they do the Entertainment Weekly cover. Do you remember this? Uh, I, I, I seem to remember them doing a cover. And does it say not ready to make nice? No, I just sent you the link. Dixie, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they have, like, the... Which has been co-opted by, like, liberal wine moms now of, like, like writing things on their skin. Yes. But they're, na- they're naked, Dixie. and they have, like, things spray-painted on them, like, Dixie Sluts, Free Speech, Patriot, Boycott, Saddam's Angels, which is an amazing band name if it, if it hasn't been taken <laughs> already. So there's a scene... Where in the in the Shut Up and Sing documentary, where they're on set shooting this, and mm-hmm. they were because the, the shoot was the chicks' ideas uh, to to brand themselves with these hate speech that was getting thrown at them, mm-hmm. and they were just having like Dixie sluts, like shut up, you know, nothing like no proud American, like that was not on there. Yeah, yeah, they wanted like someone, some CD somewhere is like I want I want it to be both things. Yes, yes. So I, th- I don't know if it was their publicist or who it was, but some woman was like, no, we need something to counteract it. Like, we need to have, like, proud American on there. And, mm-hmm. you know, it can't just be people are going to be seeing this on the newsstands. They're never going to... I mean, this part is kind of true. Like, they they won't look up the context. They'll just be like, those Dixie sluts. <laughs> yeah. I, However, I, it makes I, it so cheesy with like it's also it's so i mean i but also like i don't know if it had ever been done before so like the, like i think it's cheesy in the context of like the you know the no hate campaign which was a few years after this and then like mm-hmm. now every time that happens anywhere someone's like slut on their <laughs> arm or right. you know whatever it is yeah. you won't shut me up Okay, so Maine said, we want to show the absurdity of the extreme names people have been calling us. How do you look at the three of us and think those are Saddam's angels? We don't want people to think that we're trying to be provocative. It's not about the nakedness. It's that the clothes got in the way of the labels. We're not defined by who we are anymore. Other people are doing that for us. Shut up. Who said that? Natalie? Yeah. Wrong. Wrong. (laughs) Just like bad, just like not well thought out. Oh, she's only 28. Uh, sure. Only 20. She's like, oh, you know, I think, I mean, I think the cooler version of this is like actual brands, like where it's like gore makeup and it says traitors and sluts and whatever. Like, okay, this was like and then I would 2003. Buy the, <laughs> I know. But then I would buy this whole thing of like underneath all of our clothes, we have all these labels or whatever. And, and people are, are, are branding us with it. Hmm. Hmm. Bring, bring the effects makeup person out, and then we'll talk. All right, so literally no one's playing them on the radio. Getting Dixie Chick became a verb. So before we get, had canceled, we chicked. had getting Dixie Chicked. 
and and getting and getting Dixie chicked was part. It wasn't just getting canceled. It was shooting your mouth off, mm-hmm. and like and like biting the hand that feeds you, and then getting canceled. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, being a ungrateful, difficult woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So in two, June 2003, the FCC had made a decision to change the way it defined local radio markets as part of its media ownership rules rewrite. So this was intended to make it slightly more difficult for corporate radio giants to buy stations in smaller markets. Oh, that worked super well. Yeah, right. <laughs> So, but the banning of the Dixie Chicks music had gotten the attention of lawmakers and motivated them to look at the consolidation issue as a perfect example of the consequences of too much concentration in the radio business. So Chicks manager Simon Renshaw testified at a hearing that the greater concentration has given radio companies unprecedented power over artists and record labels and has led to bland nationwide playlists that make it difficult for new artists to break into the industry. And you can point to the countrywide banning of the Dixie Chicks as like literal collusion between what should be independent mm-hmm. radio stations. Like they didn't all like they didn't all do this separately. They had to have right. talked to each other about this fucking shit. Um, which is illegal. Renshaw, their manager, said, even the perception of our radio network using power in this way clearly demonstrates the potential danger of a system of unchecked consolidation that ultimately undermines artistic freedom, cultural enlightenment, and political dissonance. So that happened. Uh, And then in July, there's a death threat against Natalie that she'd be shot dead in Dallas. I'm surprised it took that long, to be honest with you. (laughs) They got a lot of hate mail. Um, when At the time of this death threat, they were scared. Um, like, we didn't have metal detectors at shows. And nope. Well, we had them at rap shows for reasons that, you know, you're exactly right to assume are racist. All right. Well, there wasn't any metal detectors at the Dixie Chick shows, and... You know, they were like, we're going to be when we're up there. It's like we're naked. Like, like we're going to is one of us going to get murdered tonight? Yeah. Uh, So Natalie was not shot dead in Dallas. And two years later, the chicks were back in the studio working on their next album. So like they were putting out albums like once a year. And then this whole thing happens. Um, They're canceled and they take a little break to regroup. Uh, they come back, they're really focused on writing all their own songs, being as authentic as possible. For their past mm-hmm. albums they had done with Sony, they did not have songwriting credits on every single song, but for the lo- taking the long way, Means has a songwriting credit on every song. Good. Yeah, so they know they can't go back to the country music circuit, and they don't want to. They're, you know, There's one scene in the documentary where they're... Try, someone's trying to convince them to like go to the CMAs, uh, and they're like, "No, like we're w- we need to take a pause from the country scene." Rick Rubin decides to produce their record. It's still very country. I mean, there's conversation in the documentary about like, it, "Do you feel like this album is like true to your roots, whatever?" But like when you listen to it, like it's very. Country. It's still very. I mean, the song our song of the week is but, like extremely country. Uh, So speaking of the song of the week, the story goes that Rick Rubin paired the chicks up with Dan Wilson of Semisonic. Love Semisonic. Closing time. 
<laughs> Love closing time too. So he he pairs them up to write a few songs together. And while Wilson was driving from L.A. to Santa Monica, he's thinking up a song for them. And he had this idea for them to write a song called Undivided that would have the the chick singing about all the things that unite Americans. Sure. So, I mean, that was kind of, that to me, the Undivided thing is a little bit gag, but... Uh, Wilson said he wanted to spotlight how divisive politics had become and what the girls had been through and how they stuck together. So when he brought the idea to them, Natalie said, does this mean that in the song I would have to forgive all the people that did all that to us? And Wilson said, maybe it would be, maybe it would for the song. And Natalie said, nope. So they wrote not ready to make nice instead. Yeah, I definitely remember this. trying to stop her from talking <laughs> get it get it get it guys
So yeah, the video is a little a little cheesy, I think, but that's the video those were the videos that we were making. But like what is okay, so she's like smearing black paint all over herself. Is that supposed to be like oil? Like the oil in Iraq? I don't know. The the director of the video, Sophie Muller, directed she directed it and she said it's about the trio struggling against censorship. Natalie is chastised by a teacher for trying to speak up and eventually lands in a mental institution. That's all I got. Okay. But n- nothing on the black paint. Mm-mm. Okay. Heart in my memory, expression. it was red. It was like blood. Man said in a public statement. I mean, do we need to read the lyrics or are we good on that? We can. If you would like. Forgive. Sounds good. Forget, I'm not sure I could. They say time heals everything. Everything. But I'm still waiting. I'm through with doubt. There's nothing left for me to figure out. I've paid a price, and I'll keep paying. I'm not ready to make nice. I'm not ready to back down. I'm still mad as hell, and I don't have time to go round and round and round. It's too late to make it right. I probably wouldn't if I could. Because I'm mad as hell, can't bring myself to do what it is you think I should. I know you said, can't you just get over it? It turned my whole world around, and I kind of like it. And I kind of like it. (laughs) I made my bed, and I sleep like a baby, with no regrets, and I don't mind saying, it's a sad, sad story when a mother will teach her daughter that she ought to hate a perfect stranger. And how in the world can the words that I said send somebody so over the edge that they'd write me a letter saying that I better shut up and sing or my life will be over? I'm not ready to make nice. I'm not <laughs> ready to back down. I'm still mad as hell and I don't have time to go round and round and round. It's too late to make it right. I probably wouldn't if I could because I'm mad as hell. can't bring myself to do what it is you think I should. What it is you think I um, should... Should we talk about the Mad as Hell part? Yeah. So the Mad as Hell is likely a reference to the movie network, which is about corporate censorship, um, amongst many, many, many other things. But in that movie, a newsman who is trying to stand up for truth and honesty is also having a breakdown on the air, and he encourages all of his viewers to go to their windows, open the door, open the window and scream into the night, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Well, the radio stations certainly aren't playing it. And Sony is telling them, you should try TV, since they've completely lost radio. Uh, but they what does haven't that even lost... mean? They're like, You should go try on... TV, like, go on the late like, night shows? Go go do, yeah. Cause, so now it's, what, 2006? This is a totally different time. So the country music still is has a chip on their shoulder about Dixie Chicks. Um, But the mood has changed, okay? Bush's approval rating is down. It's at 32%. Yeah, it's... it's, uh, The bottom fell out of the Iraq war pretty quickly. Yeah, there's no weapons of mass destruction. And the war's wildly unpopular. 
So, in spite of the establishment that tried to silence them, Take the Long Way debuted at number one on the Billboard 200. They were on the cover of Time. And so, yeah, they had a number one best-selling album, and they didn't need radio to do it. They went on Howard Stern. He told them they were right. And I don't think they really needed Howard Stern to tell them that. No, and it, and it seems very convenient. Like, wh- where were where were my friends when I needed you, you know? Yeah. Uh, Not Ready to Make Nice went double platinum and won the Grammy Awards for both Record of the Year and Song of the Year. And taking the How long- brave. How brave of you, Recording Academy, for just three years before, like, banning anyone from even mentioning the war. Literally. It's so ironic. Uh, Taking the Long Road also won Best Album of the Year. Not Ready to Make Nice is the first country song to win the Record of the Year category at the Grammys and the first to win Song of the Year since Always on My Mind in 1983. And it still remains the chick's biggest selling hit in Canada. It originally peaked at number two in the U.S. chart in the summer of 2006, and then the single re-entered the Hot 100 in February at number four, February of 2007, on the heels of the Grammys. Oh, okay. I was like, what? Yeah. (laughs) When the song re-entered the charts, it tied with Control Myself by friend of the show LL Cool J and Jennifer Lopez as the highest re-entry in history of the Billboard singles chart. Yeah, number four is pretty big. <laughs> yeah. Um, but their ticket sales did change. They saw slug- sluggish ticket sales in the U.S. They, they, where they would, were selling out Canada, they were not still selling out uh, as many shows in the U.S. Their career was forever changed. I think after the whole controversy, and that feels like eons ago, but we were pretty worn out at the same time. And, um I don't know. I think we needed a break. Maybe not 14 years, but we, we need to just get mad again <laughs> and yeah. have something to write about. Yeah, but haven't you been mad for a while? I mean, I've been mad. <laughs> that's the perception. <laughs> that's the perception. But I mean, so that is weird. So 17 years ago, right, is when this happened. When you were blacklisted for just speaking out and saying something that I mean, right? Yeah, we were just told today we didn't we didn't know it, but today is the anniversary. Wow, that's amazing. And and how do you feel about that? Because now it feels like we're in an even worse time where everybody is just just. Imagine what she would say now. They recent, but not even that recent. But um, they put out Gaslighter as kind of a comeback album. Well, let's listen to it. Let's go out on it this week. Gaslighter. Yeah. See, Mr. Potato Head has a car and boat trailer. That, and there's a shopping is that trailer the original for Mr. Potato Head? He looks it scary. It, it's just a potato. With the, you, could, you would have to provide your own potato and then you'd stick the, the face in. You have to provide your own potato. Yeah. Hitchcock maybe is truth, I swear. And nothing but the truth. Nothing. So help me. Help me. Their videos are not helping them. Wow, this is really bad. It's like abominable. <laughs> the sisters like have only gotten more together looking. They just like look so much morphed like each into other. each other. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why she had to dye her hair so, so they could tell them apart. Maybe. All right. Where, Where can, can people, people find, find us on, us on the, the internet? internet? <laughs> now I ask first. 
Find us on the internet at Lyrics for Lunch on Instagram and Twitter. And for longer and weirder stuff, email us at lyricsforlunch at gmail.com. Lyricsforlunch.lyricsforlunch at lyricsforlunch.lyricsforlunch. And yeah, tune in next figure week. Out. Yeah, figure the fuck out. Um, and if you're watching on YouTube, find us on all your podcatcher apps. If you're listening on the podcast apps, check out our YouTube channel. We're at Podcasts on Vivo, right? Yep, Podcasts on Vivo. Give us a rate and review wherever you find your podcast. Throw us a thumbs up and tell your friends. And tune in next week when we do this all over again with another song that also happens to be about George W. Bush. Really? No, I don't know. Maybe. Ah! All right. And until next time, I'm a Beaver Rubenstein. I'm Lindsay Tucker. Saying. Not ready to. Not ready to. Back. Act nice. What is it? <laughs>